When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going, but there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S.com. Hello and welcome to the Sunday special episode of the You Up podcast. I'm Jordana Abraham. And I am Jared Freed. It is so good to be back here with you, Jordana, virtually. We are so excited. Not just you. We are uh, joined by a very special guest. Do you want to introduce them, Jordana? Of course. So we are joined today by Logan Yuri. Um, she is a behavioral scientist turned dating coach, and she is the author of a book called How to Not Die Alone, which I had the pleasure of reading before uh, it's even released. It's coming out really soon and it's that was that was going to be the original title of our podcast actually we changed it to you up but so anyone who listens to this podcast is going to love <laughs> this book so i had to we had to have her on the podcast she's the director of relationship science at hinge and she leads a research team dedicated to helping people find love logan welcome Thank you so much for having me. And Jordana, thank you so much for blurbing the book. I have to tell you, I work with a small team of young women, and I was really excited about some of the scientists who blurb, but they were like, you got <laughs> Jordana to blurb the book. And I just, it really helped contextualize you in my mind. And so now I know I'm talking to a legend. Oh, thank, oh my God. I was like, oh my God, I saw who else blurbed your book. I was like, I'm in, the, I'm blurbing a book with Esther Perel. She's like, she's like, I don't even know if I'm pronouncing her name right, but she is like incredible. She, you got like the Mecca of like modern day dating oh my experts. Gosh. I to promise you, for this these book. like, it's so good. These Gen Z women I work with, they were only excited about your blurb. <laughs> That's really what, funny. What I feel was very the blurb? honored. What, what was the blurb you gave, Jordana? Let's, do you remember? I mean, I don't have the exact phrasing of it, but it was just, it's a great, it's a really great dating book. It brings you, what I love about, um, how to not die alone is that it brings you through like every step of a relationship. Because I think a lot of people think it, you know, if I just get the guy, then th that's it. That's all I need to do is just like get into a relationship. And I, what I love about your book is it's not only tells you like the best way, like scientifically proven ways to date, but also once you're in it, how to communicate, how to break up with someone if you need to, how to know if you should break up with someone, how to know if you should move in, if you should take the next steps. So I thought it's just like great it just goes through every step of a relationship. And I learned a lot. And I was thinking like, you know, this would have been great when I was single, but even like as someone who's engaged, I felt like I like kind of went through your like checklist and thoughts and I was, That's I did so all the nice. exercises. Um, so I thought it was great, really easy to digest and, and actually pretty funny. So uh, you guys should definitely check it out, but we wanted to have you on the podcast also just to like, go over some of that stuff, some of the really cool things in the book. Um, and we'll obviously answer an email as we always do. But one thing I thought was really interesting that I thought we could start with was you had this like almost like kind of calculator for when you should find look to find someone serious. Can you explain that sort of like a, as a as a means of like working backwards from when you want to start a family or like oh yeah or get yeah, married. I've Absolutely. I, that's a really fun place to start. So we can probably get into this more during our conversation, but I have this idea in the book called the three dating tendencies. And these are three types of dating blind spots. So things that hold people back from finding love, but that they can't identify on their own. And the one that you're referring to has to do with the maximizer. And so I... I live in, in Silicon Valley. I get a lot of this sort of Silicon Valley guy who comes over and he's like, okay, I know exactly what I want. I have the spreadsheet. I have all of these top of funnel analyses for how I'm going to meet this person. And yeah, I just need you to introduce me to a person with these 10 characteristics. And they're just so sure that they can kind of research and spreadsheet and optimize their way to this perfect person. And one of the things that I work with on someone who's a maximizer is that Right now, they think, I could be 5% happier with somebody else. And even when they're dating someone great, they're always looking for the next best person. And I'm sure you've come across tons of people like this. And so there's actually this really cool 
mathematical riddle that's called the secretary problem. The idea here is imagine that you're hiring a secretary and you have a hundred candidates and you have to interview them one at a time. After each one, you have to say yes or no. And so let's say you get to the 99th person and and you don't like them and you want to go back to 35, you can't do that. And so the question is, what's the best point at which to choose someone? You don't want to let too many people go by. You don't want to let too few people go by. And so the mathematically correct answer here is 37%. You interview 37 of the candidates. You say, who was the single? best person of the first 37. That person now becomes your meaningful benchmark. And then the next time you find someone who's as good or better than that first benchmark person, you hire that person. And so the same thing can apply to dating. You can say, how do you know when to invest in someone versus when to keep looking? And so you don't know how many total people you're going to date. That's a hard number to come up with. But you could approximate how long you think you'll be dating. And so in this book, Algorithms to Live By, they say, let's say you're going to date from 18 to 40, 37% is the age of 26.1. So by 26.1, you've already found your meaningful benchmark. Identify that person. The next time you find someone who's as good or better than that person, you commit to that person. And I know that this feels a little awkward, like we're talking about love and dating and I'm giving you the number 26.1. It's really about a mindset shift. It's saying you have likely already dated somebody who would have been a great long-term partner. Find someone who's as good or makes you as happy as that person and commit and stop thinking, if I just keep dating for one more year, I'll find someone better and realize that it's not about finding the perfect person. It's about finding someone great and investing in the relationship to make it a great, a great partnership. Do you feel like that advice is like, you know, to me, that advice feels great for a lot of men that were hearing about on this Mm -hmm. podcast. Mm -hmm. You know, like this podcast, we get emails from women a lot of the time where they're saying they're, they, they feel like they sound like they are ready to invest in certain people that aren't really would, uh, seemingly not kind of giving them the same shot. What, you know, how does that, you know, if someone's doing that and someone's looking, saying, I'm trying, but these people just aren't listening, what would you say to them? Yeah, Jared, I think that point is 100% accurate. And so I have these three tendencies. And yes, a lot of maximizers are male. This does sort of be something, this does sort of seem to be something like, I'm the kind of person that researches everything from my Bluetooth wireless headphones to my toothbrush, and I go on wire cutter, and I have to get the perfect thing. And yes, I have found that a lot of times this is um, something that straight guys or gay guys, it, it is often a male tendency. There's two mm. other tendencies, the hesitator and the romanticizer. So the romanticizer, is somebody who has unrealistic expectations of relationships. And they basically think it's always going to be butterflies and unicorns, and it's going to be that initial chemistry. And they think that Prince Charming is going to find them. And they expect that love is something that happens to you, not something that you put effort in. And I would say that oftentimes I have found my female clients are more likely to fit as the romanticizer. And then there's one other kind, which is the hesitator. And these are people who are waiting until they're perfect to date. And I do know a lot of men and women who are hesitators. And these are people who say, I'll be ready to date when I lose 10 pounds. I'll be dead ready mm-hmm. to date when I have a more impressive job. And so they always think that they are not yet ready to put themselves out there. That feels, that third one, the, 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 what, I, you can you repeat that? I'm sorry. Hesitator, sure. The hesitator feels like very genderless to me. That feels like it's a, you know, especially now with 2020, 2021, the pandemic, like I'll wait till it's over. Yeah. Wait till it's over. I'll wait till the world is right. I'll wait till I have that job. I think, you know, I, I've been in that position where it's like the career isn't there. I'm just going to hang because it's cheaper to be single than it is to be in a relationship just (laughs) generally. So like, I, I, yeah, I, I, I can feel that. I also feel like in terms of like the maximizer, um, that's probably more likely to be men because they're dealing with a larger time frame. You know, there's not like they can, you know, I mean, if you're if you're looking for a house and you've got five kids and you're living in a one bedroom apartment, then you're you're more likely to pick something that's not the maximum thing. But like if you're, you know, if you've got all the time in the world, for example, I feel like you're more you're more likely to take your time and pick your options. And like so to me, that. That really, I would imagine that plays into why men are more into maximizing, right? Oh, yeah. 100%. And honestly, this is something that I gave a lot of thought to when I was writing the book, which is how do I talk about the fact that men and women 
at least if you want to have sort of your own biological kids that you give birth to, blah, blah, blah. How do I treat the fact that, you know, maybe men and women are equal, but they're not the same? And so what that means in this context is that, yes, if you are a woman in your late 30s and you really want to have your own kids and you want to give birth to them, blah, 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 you need to find someone who's ready to commit. You don't have all the time in the world. But if you're a 39-year-old guy, you're you're in a different ballpark, right? You could you could mess around for the next 10 years and still have a family at age 50. And so when I talk about that with women, they oftentimes find it sort of stressful. Like, I'm already stressed enough. Why are you reminding me of this? Like, I have I'm putting all the pressure on myself, but I think at a certain point it's just helpful to talk about the reality of fertility. I mean, I froze my eggs I think when I was 30 or 31, just because I was like, I kind of want an insurance plan and I was aware of all the challenges that people go through. And so, yes, if you're listening to this, you're like, I'm not a maximizer. Like the maximizers are all the guys I date. Yes, that's probably true. (laughs) And there are sort of gender and biological dynamics at play here that unfortunately mean that women are oftentimes the one who have to make that shift in what what I call in the book, kind of going from the the prom date to the life partner, they have to do that earlier because they don't have the luxury of a couple more decades. Right. I think that that prom date versus lo- uh, life partner thing really kind of feels like it's, um, I, I I definitely felt like I could relate to that in terms of like also your, the shift about like, you know, if I'm an anxious dater, especially, and I'm going for the prom date, that's just going to, and Jared, the, the prom date in the book is basically like, this is the guy who like seems really cool and really cute and really sure. like, you know, great on paper. And then I forgot who the other, what's the other one called? Oh, life partner. Right. The life partner is like, obviously the more stable person who's like looking to settle down and like, you know, has a different, it's probably less exciting, but, but more more stable better for you like in the long run like i i it's gotta be i you you must i I, i'm wondering if this book like you want like it i feel like i'm I'm stumbling here because i'm I'm trying to find my words correctly but it's like would a woman want to like throw this at a dude that's like i'm not ready for a relationship like like It's a good point. And Jared, I think this is actually fascinating because it's like Jordana and I are explaining to you a book that you haven't read. And so we're only telling you a couple things and then you're getting a viewpoint of it. In terms of who it's written for, I honestly wrote it for both men and women. When I signed my contract, I put into the contract that I had final word over the cover because my worst nightmare was a pink cover with stilettos or engagement rings on it. And I really wanted it to pass what I call the subway test, which is like a man or a woman could read it on the subway and not feel embarrassed. Um, I think I then chose a very bold title. So maybe that, uh, you know, neglects it. But anyway, what I'm trying to say is it's really for anyone who's going through the stages of a relationship and it's saying, hey, you who's single and doesn't want to be, here's what's holding you back. And so for men, they're going to identify with some things. For women, they're going to identify with some things. But it's not as much like he's just not that into you, which is like, hey, ladies, real talk, move on. Mm -hmm. It's like for both people to say like, oh, I keep doing this thing over and over again. I keep dating people who aren't available and then wonder why I'm single. And now I'm going to identify that blind spot and make changes to overcome it. Yeah, I would think that this, I mean, the way you're explaining it right now, like I would think a man would want to read it while in a relationship and a woman would want to read it while before, you know, while looking for a relationship like that. That's the vibe I'm getting. And I I did want to ask about the title. Sure. You're in you're in Oakland. You you're you told us. You're in a commune and uh, it's like, I, I, I thought you were joking when you said that. Before oh my gosh. Oh yeah. And there's so many layers to that. I mean, it, which it just feels like the most Oakland thing I've ever heard. It just like coming to you from a commune near Silicon Valley where, <laughs> you know, tech startups are investing in my one bedroom, you know, like, um, but how not to not die alone? Are you getting blowback? Is it like, I, I, th- oh listen, yeah. There's got to be community. I I know from, you know, there's got to be someone that's like, well, I don't care how I die a lot. You know, like I I understand this this book isn't written for you then. But I, I I'm just saying I you have to be gotten some anger or something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Let me let me talk about all of that. And those basically are two different topics. And I'm happy to dive into both. Basically, how I chose the title and then why I live in a 14 person commune. Okay, so the first (laughs) one is that my publisher really liked 
titles like This Is How You Find Love, that sort of thing, that was like, what does the book do for you? It shows you this. And I was like, no, like that's not my vibe. Like that's so straightforward. That's not funny. I want something that jolts you and makes you think like, okay, I'm on this path and I'm headed towards this thing and I don't like where I'm headed and I want to make a change in my behavior, right? That's the whole point of the book is that you basically think about the decisions you're making now are leading in one direction. And if you don't like where you're going, then you need to change direction. And so it is supposed to be provocative. It is supposed to create this yeah. feeling of of fear. And what's so interesting about the pandemic is that the pandemic in many ways achieves what I was hoping to achieve with the title, which is so many people. And I I, I mean, I, I know the letters that we're going to talk about today, and, and I'm sure the letters that you get all the time are like, I wasn't prioritizing dating. I've been sheltering in place in my tiny Brooklyn apartment for the last nine months. And like, it's made me realize that I really want to find someone, right? And so the fact that we're all alone and isolated and anxious, it has made people realize that they want to put more emphasis on a relationship and that finding someone isn't something they're just going to do in a few years. And so the title's trying to do that too. And it's funny, you, you said, you know, have I gotten blowback? Um, this morning, one of my mentors, the behavioral economist, Dan Ariely, he posted this video on Instagram of the book. And this was something I had really been hoping for. And I'm really happy about the video. But he starts by saying, I wouldn't have chosen this title. And it just makes me laugh. I'm happy to have a provocative title. I'm happy to have a title that people disagree with. And if it makes you feel a little bit triggered, great. Trigger yourself into making a different decision. You guys know I'm a huge fan of Skims. And with warmer weather coming up, I recently tried out one of their t-shirts. Skims makes the best basics and foundations. So it's no surprise that it's the best fitting tee I've ever worn. Finding the perfect t-shirt can be such a challenge, whether it's the fit or the quality. But with Skims, they make the most flattering shirts for everyone. Honestly, I love pretty much everything Skims makes, but I really love their t-shirts. They're like form fitting and they make my body just look that much smoother. I have the soft, smoothing, seamless t-shirt in Onyx. It has has amazing versatility. It is literally a must-have for a spring wardrobe. They're stretchy, they're flattering. You can dress it up or dress it down, and you don't have to worry about compromising style or comfort. I also have the cotton jersey t-shirt in marble, and it's really just changed the game for me. It's taking the regular t-shirt, it's leveling it up. There's no stretched collars or hems, and it literally fits like a dream. Skims t-shirts are made with innovative technology while always keeping style and comfort in mind. From crop silhouettes to long sleeve layering tees, Skims has something for every fit and everybody. Shop the Skims t-shirt shop at skims.com now available in sizes extra extra small to 4x if you haven't yet be sure to let them know i sent you after you place your order select podcast in the survey and select you up in the drop down menu that follows nothing gives me naked confidence like really nailing a tough workout there's a real sense of power that comes from pushing your body to its limits and conquering it like a champ but a very close second lumi whole body deodorant it's the game-changing whole body deodorant for those who love feeling confident from head to toe. And you up listeners can now receive a special offer. New customers get 15% off all Lumi products with our exclusive code and link. Use code UUP at LumiDeodorant.com. L-U-M-E-D-E-O-D-O-R-A-N-T.com. Making sure that I smell good is like one of my top things to feel confident. If I'm scared that I might be like having an odor, that is going to totally throw off my confidence. So I love Lumi so I can feel confident that I'm smelling fresh every day. Lumi is seriously safe to use anywhere on your body. Yes, anywhere. It's baking soda free, paraben free, and pH balanced for safe use below the belt. Lumi is formulated and powered by mandelic acid to stop odor before it starts. More like a pre-odorant. It's clinically proven to block odor all day and control odor for up to 72 hours. Choose from a variety of bright scents like clean tangerine, lavender sage, or toasted coconut. Lumi's starter pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, two free products of your choice, like mini body wash and deodorant wipes, and free shipping. As a special offer for our listeners, new customers get 15% off all Lumi products with our exclusive code. And if you combine the 15% off with the already discounted starter pack, that equals over 40% off their starter pack. Use code UUP for 15% off your first purchase at lumideodorant.com. That's code UUP at L-U-M-E-D-E-O-D-O-R-A-N-T.com. I really like the title. I think it's scary. And that's like kind of good to be totally honest. Like I do think that's sort of like, I mean, I think back to, you know, I, I've talked about this a lot on the podcast. I'm in like a seven year on again, off again, like unhealthy, toxic thing. And then like, 
the only thing that got me out of that was just thinking like, am I going to be 40 just waiting for like some you up text from someone? Like, is that like, is that where my dating life is headed? Cause that just keeps that look seems to be the pattern to me. And that was like what got me like into a therapist's office. So I do think it's a little scary, but like, that's sort of like how you move is by being like a little well, scared. I, 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 I love the title. This doesn't to say I didn't <laughs> like it. I, I, I just was like, you're, in the dating world, it's like in the you know fitness world, in any world online, you're gonna get people that are gonna go. Well, I don't, and it's like obvious. Like you're you're saying this fear is a real fear for people. If it's not a fear for you, then the book doesn't speak to you. If it is a fear for you, then it does. It should speak to you. A hundred percent. And right, what are people motivated by? By love or by fear? And yeah. in the book, I, I offer both. And I chose to go with the fear <laughs> title because I think that's what's going to make you stop in your tracks and say like, damn, where am I headed? And in the book, I talk about this guy who really would go from three-month relationship to three-month relationship, always find something wrong with his girlfriend. And he called me at some point and he's like, I know this is a pattern and I'm about to break up with her. And we did this meditation where he closed his eyes and he thought about where he was headed if he broke up with her. And there was a lot of a lot more three to six-month relationships, nights in Vegas, like a lot of fun, but it was just the same over and over. And he, he said this to me. I thought it was so funny. It like winds up with him on a futon, right? He just doesn't really like establish a life for himself beyond that. And then the other one, he stayed with his girlfriend and they, they they built a family and they had this whole life. And he was like, wow, I, I want to move towards that path. And that means that I'm not going to break up with her. And this was a few years ago and they're still together. And I think it's really about helping people see like you are in the driver's seat of your life. But if you keep making the same decisions over and over again, nothing's going to change. And so the angle of the book is behavioral science. That's the study mm. of how we make decisions. And so I think in, I'm not blaming people. I'm not saying, here's what's wrong with you, fix it. I'm saying, this is a really hard time to date. There's a lot of factors that make it hard to date right now. This is what's holding you back. Make a few shifts to your environment. Make some better decisions along the way. And things will work out for you. And so the title is jarring, but the book itself is very empowering. That's what I've heard. That people are like, I finished the book and was like, oh, I can make some changes and, and figure this out. Are people, I mean, behavioral science gets a lot of brushback, right? Like Does it? that is, but that world, I mean, like people don't like hearing what behavioral scientists have to say. Do you find like that? That's kind of a common thing. Do you have right? a, I can, I can explain like to the listeners, like everything about it, but do you have a specific thing in mind? Do you want to talk me to talk about it more broadly? Well, just, I, I would love for you to talk about your background. I, I think behavioral science is great. Like I, I, I think it's like the most honest thing there is, but a lot of people don't like, I, I just find that like, I, I'm thinking back to my one economics class that I graduated with an economics degree. Um, game theory. Isn't that all behavioral science? Yeah, yeah. Let, yeah, let me explain it. So basically, the idea of behavioral science is that we're not really in control of our own decisions the way that we think we are. And oftentimes, we're led astray by these clouds in judgment, which are called cognitive biases. And so a, a really common one, and one that I talk about in the book, is called the status quo bias. And it's basically, if you're on one path and you're headed in one direction, it feels really scary to change the path. And it's why people just keep doing what they're doing. And so sort of it's like, you know, it's why... When you sign up for a gym membership, um, it's way harder to cancel it, and it, it it takes a lot of effort to actually make that call. And you know, if you if you keep going to the same meeting every week, even though the meeting's kind of kind of unnecessary, you're just you just keep doing what you're doing. And so, what behavioral science says is people make these cognitive people ha are ha are affected by these cognitive biases, but it's not. It's not random. There's actually a set of them. And that's why Dan Ariely's book is called Predictably Irrational. We're irrational in these very specific ways. And if you understand what those are, then that's the first step, right? But just understanding why you're making a bad choice doesn't make you change the choice. And a really famous example of this is when New York City put up calorie counts in a lot of mm. these restaurants, it didn't really change people's eating behavior. Because once you're walking into a Dunkin' Donuts, you're getting a Dunkin' Donut. You are not there saying, wow, I didn't realize that a muffin is more like a cake <laughs> than a breakfast item, right? And so you, you, you get the donut that you went in there to go. 
to buy. And that's the idea that um, more information doesn't lead to action. So the second part of behavioral science that's really cool is this toolkit that says, we know people make these bad choices, but we can set things up to help them. And so a lot of behavioral science work has been around helping people save money and save for retirement. And they use this idea of defaults, which is that whatever is set as the pre-existing choice, the default, you'll stick with it because of this concept called the status quo bias. And so when people sign up, when people start a new job and they sign up for a 401k, it used to be that you could opt in for however much you wanted and people wouldn't necessarily opt in. But now there's a default. Let's say it opts you in for two or three or 5% of your salary, whatever it is. And then people don't change the default and people save thousands more dollars than they ever would. And so that's an example where like, we know people are bad at saving. So we're going to create an environment, a default percentage that helps people save. And so no one has ever applied this to dating in exactly this way. And that's what's so exciting to me about the work that I'm doing. Well, what are some dating defaults that people can put into their lives? Yes, Jared, I love this question. And I have a chapter called Make the Second Date the Default. And I really, really think that so many people write off amazing partners on the first date because that first person isn't sparky. And am I allowed to curse on the podcast? Yeah, yeah, yeah. you can do whatever okay. you like. Go nuts. Probably yeah. my favorite <laughs> chapter. My favorite chapter title is called Fuck, Fuck the shit. Spark. Okay, everyone, Fuck let's all spark. swear. Okay. Fuck the spark. Okay, I like when people chant it. Just me. Yeah. Um, Fuck yeah, the so spark. Fuck the there spark. We go. There we go. Thanks, okay. thanks, guys. So yeah, I mean, this is like, I could go on and on about this, but basically I think people write off people who aren't sparky. I think that people are totally misinformed about the spark and people meet someone great and they say, oh, you know, I really liked him, but he wasn't for me. I didn't feel the spark. And look, a lot of people take a couple dates to warm up. A lot of people are anxious, especially now, right? People are not killing these first video dates. It just takes time to open up with someone. And so my advice in the book, after I debunk some of these myths around the spark, is that you should go for the slow burn. And this is the person who might take a little bit longer to warm up, but is a great long-term partner. And the second date, make second date the default is if you go on the first date and the whole time you're thinking, is this person good enough for me? How much do I like this person? Do I want to go on a second date? You're kind of evaluating them like you're on a job interview. If you just say, I'm, I'm planning to go on a second date with this person because I give everyone two chances, then you're actually going to be more relaxed on the first date. And there are people who are really going to start to open up and shine on those second and third dates. And you're going to be like, damn, I'm so glad I gave that person a chance because a lot of people have written them off and they're the best partner I've ever had. Right. I feel like um, that spark, that whole fuck the spark thing also makes me think like if you're someone who's if, putting it back to like attachment stuff, like if you're someone who's kind of anxious and you t- find yourself dating like those like avoided people constantly, I feel like you kind of equi- like the spark is actually just kind of like anxiety around like, will this person call me or not? Like, I think this person's so great that I like will be devastated if they don't uh, follow up with me. So I feel like also looking at the spark as as that almost is the spark is almost like an indicator that like this person's got like is like withholding a little bit, I think can also be sort of a thing. Is that, have you seen that? Yeah. I mean, this is kind of cheesy, but I just got the chills when you were saying that because I was like, that's my life story. Like I was an anxiously attached dater. Like I met the guy at Burning Man and, you know, we like made out as the DJ was playing on, you know, White Night, all these things. And I was just like so obsessed with this person who just like wasn't interested and was pulling away and like sent mixed signals and all this stuff. And like, I just was like, oh, that's what love is. You chase after someone, they reject you and you convince them to date you. And this is even embarrassing to admit, but that's every rom-com. Oh yeah. It's every rom-com. I mean, yeah, I I do like rom-coms, but yeah, in the book, I, I explain how they give us a lot of bad ideas. And this is kind of embarrassing to admit, but I wrote this modern love essay where I basically was like, I'm going to apply the lessons from lean in to dating and how I was like, I mean, it was in, at the end, I was like, this was the wrong approach, but I thought I could convince him. I thought I could keep like creating opportunities for us to hang out. And like, I was just so desperate and going after this person. And it was like, no, that's actually not what love feels like. It doesn't feel like anxiety that you confuse as chemistry. It feels like somebody's showing up for you. And so that was such a big shift for me is going from being the anxiously attached dater, chasing the spark, chasing the rejection, to dating someone who shows up for you and is a great partner and makes you feel secure. And like, I feel like my life changed in so many ways because it was taking up 50% of my brain thinking about these guys that weren't interested in me and actually dating someone who loved me and was just like, 
I don't know what it's like. I feel like my husband just says things to me like, I love your face. And I'm like, that's just like what I want. I want to wake up to that. I don't want to wake up to someone where I'm like, does he, does he like me? Does he not? Yeah. I, I, I love the, I love all that. And I love the, the idea of like just giving into the second date, but, and I'm not trying to poke holes here. I'm just saying like, there's a lot of people that come to us with issues of like, you know, you're dating someone who's, like maybe you're going out with a guy who's on that second date for bad reasons that's just there to have sex like how do you work sex into this whole equation like like if some like like i i think my kind of view on a lot of dating apps is that it's given lazy people the opportunity like a superpower because you've been given the superpower of being available while sitting on your couch so someone you meet on a dating app could be like yeah, I'll go on date one. She's cute, whatever. How do you oh, weed out the guys who are just how do you trying to weed, hook up? Yeah, how do you weed out if you're... Because everything you're saying makes perfectly sense if both parties are acting honestly. And this happens with with numbers a lot. Like, we, if, if all the numbers make sense, but, like, none of the numbers lie, you know? Like, or none of the numbers are on that date. You know, one person reading the book is great, but what if the second person on the date is not even... You know, he's the just wants the maximizer that yeah. you talk about. Like, yeah. what if you're but he'll, in but he'll on hook it? Up. <laughs> but it will hook up. Yeah, I, I. Yeah, you know what I mean. No, I totally know what you mean. And one thing I would say is yes. So sometimes when I I talk about my book and my research, people's first reaction is really negative, and they're like, "You're trying to apply rationality to something that's chemistry and organic and natural, and how are you doing that?" And so the first thing I would say to that is, I'm not actually saying that people are rational. I'm saying the whole thesis is that people are irrational. Mm -hmm. And so how do we manage a world in which people are making irrational decisions? And when I say irrational decisions, I mean things that are not in your own best interest. So dating someone who doesn't like you who you're chasing after is an irrational choice, but there's all these motivations behind it. And the second thing I say is that love is natural, but dating is not. People have not been dating in the way that we think about dating where like two single people come together. That that started in the 1890s. This is very new. Obviously, there was mm-hmm. arranged marriage. Marriages were things of convenience. And as, you know, online dating started in 1994 and the apps are only 10 years old. So this is a very new phenomenon in the span of human history. So just wanted to clarify that. I actually don't think it's a thing of numbers and rationality. It's like a thing of irrationality and how do we manage for that? I don't talk too much about sex in the book. And honestly, I could I could explore why that is. I think that just that isn't the topic that I feel is often the dating blind spot. I think sex is something that there's no rules about. You should do what you're comfortable with. I absolutely have never said to a client, like, you're sleeping with men too early and that's your problem. That's not actually what I think is going on. I think most of the problems in the whole three dating tendencies is about unrealistic expectations of yourself, of relationship, or of your partners. And so the whole slow burn, fuck the spark thing, that's really about not rejecting that guy that doesn't give you the spark or that girl who doesn't give you the spark and giving them another chance. My gut reaction to your question is that that guy that's just looking to have sex, he probably does give you the spark in some sense because he's probably developed a way to do that. So this is not actually an intervention for that situation. This is for those people who let a lot of like nice guys go past them because they're not feeling like that initial pang of excitement. Does that answer your question? Yeah, I, I think I think especially the part where you're talking about expectations and like expectations like sex is mixed into that stew like to me like if your expectations are that well we had sex we went on three dates so we should be going more seriously like you might be let down by those because their expectations across the table might be different than yours summer is just around the corner so it's time to say goodbye to those jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince. Now I have a lineup of timeless pieces I want that will keep me looking fresh year after year. I'm wearing a Quince sweater literally right now. They make the best cashmere sweaters and they're so well-priced. It's like, honestly, my dream store. I also have an amazing down comforter from them. They cut out the middleman and they really just give you these really, really high quality items 
that last a long time and that they're at an amazing price point. Quince has amazing items like premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. So you can feel good about what you're wearing on every level. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash UUP for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash UUP to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash UUP. If you're like me and shudder at the thought of low rise jeans and pluck thin eyebrows making a comeback, you're a millennial. And if you're a millennial, it's time to add Clarence multi-active cream to your daily routine. I have to tell you, I'm a huge Clarence fan. I've been using them for years. I love, love, love them. They are such high quality. They're like a legacy brand. My skin always looks better whenever I'm using Clarence products. And it's no different with the Clarence multi-active cream. You've been adulting for a while, so the daily stress of just trying to keep your life together can cause stress aging. Yes, that's a thing. The good news, Europe's number one skincare line has a solution you can trust. Rooted in nature and innovated with science, Clarins has a long legacy of creating industry-first, plant-forward products. Using a skin charger complex made of 2% niacinamide and C. holly bio-extract, Clarins Multi-Active Cream has been clinically proven to target the first visible signs of aging by smoothing lines and wrinkles, refining pores, evening tone and texture, and strengthening the skin's moisture barrier. While Multi-Active Cream can't bring back the golden age of boy bands, it can de-stress your skin. Go to Clarins.com slash UUP and get Multi-Active Day and Night Cream for 10% off, a free welcome gift, plus free shipping on your first order. That's C-L-A-R-I-N-S dot com slash UUP with promo code UUP, Clarence.com slash UUP with promo code UUP. I, I, I love everything you're talking about. I, I'm a huge fan, and I and I know Jordana is. I, I knew before we got started here, Jordana, this is like right up her alley. This is my this shit. Is, this yeah, is her I shit. That. So I appreciate uh, it. I, I love <laughs> the conversation, and I and I do think it's just very interesting. And, you know, I, I think of it, you know, Basically, on like when you mentioned the three monther, like I've been in that zone where I was the ten monther and been that person. And you do think like what, where, you know, a rational person who tries to look in the mirror every now and again does say to themselves, "What the fuck am I doing here? What, what, what did I? What do I have to change?" Obviously, it's not the other person. Yeah, I absolutely think that's part of it. And look, relationships are what unfolds between two people. So you're bringing a dynamic, they're bringing a dynamic. You can't control everything, but you can try to select a partner that's going to bring out the best side of you. And the more that I think about what I wrote, the more time it's been since I finish it. I'm like, that's kind of one of the biggest whole, one of the biggest points of the book is like, throw out your checklist. You're probably wrong about who you want. You're probably wrong about who's going to make you happiest long term. This whole idea of the type is totally misinformed. Go on a date pay attention to how you feel around them. Do they make you feel energized? Do they make you feel desired? Do they make you feel small? Do they make you feel a little depressed? And stop thinking about the fact that they work at some investment firm and you're really impressed by them and you know your dad would have a lot to talk about with them. No, throw that out the window. Like a relationship is what happens when you're around that person and do you like the side of you that they bring out? Right. I also feel like that plays into, I think, I mean, in a lot of this podcast is about like the battle of the sexes, sort of different differing mindsets. But I do think there are a lot of men who have a fear that women are just trying to date someone who, you know, you, they think their dad would get along with or they just want to like get married because they're on a clock. And it's just like, mm-hmm. yeah, you seem great. Let's just do it. Let's just like get married. Let's just move in together because like I've got this and like I've got to get it done by a certain time. And like, let's do it. And I think I'm a lot of men do have that fear. And I, what I liked about the book also, and I mean, we'll get into that in the emails more about is more about, okay, once you're in it, how do you know if you're in it for the right reasons? Are you in it because it's actually the best relationship for you? Or are you in it because you're kind of just, like you said, just kind of like behaviorally wise, just kind of like doing the the path of least resistance and just continuing to date someone where it's like, fine. Yeah, 100%. And I think when I think about the work that I do with my coaching clients, it's how to find love and then how to not fuck it up. And people forget that second part. They think it's all about finding the person. And I call that the happily ever after fallacy. It's the mistaken idea that the hard work of love is finding someone. And no, like that might be where the Disney movie ends, but that's where the real work 
begins because that honeymoon phase, those hormones, that in love feeling, that'll last you, you know, two to three years. Your brain is on this drug of love. And when you look at brain scans of people in those first few years of dating, they actually light up in the same regions, the nucleus accumbens, as people who are who are on cocaine, right? So drug love is literally a drug. And then that fades over time and you move into the next phase of a relationship, which is more becoming companions. And hopefully you're still having sex and there's passion and things like that. But Falling in love doesn't feel the same as being in love. And so for people, like Jared talked about, 10 months, leaving, looking in the mirror, like part of it is saying like, okay, maybe we're making the natural transition and that's not a scary thing. That's a very natural thing. And so just people get confused between falling in love and being in love. And those are both profound and important stages. What do you think is like the biggest question you should ask someone or ask yourself in terms of, let's say you're like, oh, I'm, and we've got a lot of emails about this kind of thing too, where it's like, oh, it's going well. Um, how do I know if this is like, should I move to the next step or is it like, or is this kind of as far as it should go? Like, I think a lot of people and especially I think a lot of men are kind of like, well, it's going well. How do I know if you're, especially if you're a maximizer, like, is this, is this relationship something I should take the next step with or could I potentially find a better match for me? Yeah, I get that question a lot and it's so hard. And this is where relationships are really the art and the science. I can't just be like, you know, one plus one equals get married. But there's a couple of questions that I ask people and I include this in the book. And so in the book, I talk about how some people stay in relationships too long and they let them go past their expiration dates. I call them hitchers. Some people stay in relationships too short and they have unrealistic expectations. These people are the ditchers. And so I have this question that I've developed, which is I say to someone, and Jordana, maybe maybe I'll say it to you right now. Okay, you know what this is. So it's if your partner were a piece of clothing in your closet, a piece of clothing that you own, what would they be? I think what I was thinking when I did that was that he was like a very, um, he was like a pair of leggings that I could wear anywhere that were really flattering and also comfortable. Oh, I love that answer. Yeah. I don't know. Jared, are you are you On my ass someone? about everything. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm a, I am in a <laughs> That's really good. I had to add that in. <laughs> I'm in a relationship, yes. Do you want it? Do you care to share if your answer? If were a clothing item, what would you call her? Um, I, I don't even know. Um, a sweatshirt. Is that a offense? She's going to be like, you piece of shit. No, I uh, sweatshirt. <laughs> Is there a specific one in mind? And what do you like or not like about it? <laughs> <laughs> that, am I, wait, did you Why sneak you up on me with girlfriend? therapy? Yeah, what's going on? <laughs> This is an intervention. Is an intervention? I, I posed it. I posed yeah, it yeah, as yeah. a guest on the yeah. podcast. This yeah. is actually group therapy. Yeah, I, I would go. say a sweatshirt that it makes me feel comfortable. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, those are both great answers. And like, obviously, this is sort of like a made up abstract question. But the reason why it's so powerful is that because it has like that randomness to it. And if people really just give their gut reaction, I think it reveals a lot about how we feel in a way where like months of therapy of weighing pro con lists don't. And so these are really genuine answers that I've gotten from people. Um, One guy said, my boyfriend is a wool sweater who keeps me warm, but then it's itchy and I have to take it off. And a girl said, my boyfriend is a scrubby t-shirt that I would wear to the gym, but I wouldn't want anyone to see me in. And when people hear these (laughs) words coming out of their mouth, they're kind of embarrassed, but then they're like, that's just how I feel. I I feel that I've outgrown this. I feel like it's too much friction and it's not working. And then some of the lovely answers I've gotten are – I mean, I really like Jordana's answer. Mine is that I have these onesie pajamas that just feel like you're wearing a hug and are really cozy and they feel very me. And that's what I think of my husband. Other people talk about like this pair of pants that I wouldn't have bought for myself, but that's my girlfriend bought me and feel like the side of myself I want to be. And so I think just really understanding like if you take away all the layers of like what you should do and how you wish you felt and you can actually just tune into how you do feel. I think that's part of it. But honestly, like in a humble way, like this stuff's really complicated. Like there's external factors. There's is somebody's parent sick? Did somebody just lose their job? Obviously, there's like a freaking pandemic that's bringing out the worst side of everyone. Everyone is on edge. So it's really hard to say what's an external factor that's going to clear up and what is actually just a mismatch between the two of us. And it's truly hard. And I think probably the hardest work I do is this breakup consulting where somebody comes to me and says, like, should I stay or should I go? And I have two people's relationship in my hands. And I I take that really seriously. 
that's there's no one who's a bigger so a bigger sympathizer with the person who does the breaking up than with than jared so yeah, i feel like you i, I love i love a dumper <laughs> I, I am, he's like I'm you know who gets beat up on too much the person really who's ending things and making the other person yeah. feel terrible yeah I, 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 on a basic level i totally agree yeah i just think that they get tasked with all the work and and a lot of times none of the sympathy Again, yeah. yeah well none of the sympathy and, and you mentioned the hitcher like that person the hitcher has mm-hmm. to be dumped at some point by someone else and it's like that mm-hmm. hitcher always gets the sympathy mm-hmm. in that scenario. So well, they're going through more pain. I feel like usually <laughs> as the sun, well, you know, <laughs> I, 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 re- I agree with both of you. I think one thing I learned, there's a really cool book called, it's called uncoupling. And it basically talks about how there's like a breakup timeline. And it's like the period in which you're grieving the relationship. And so what happens is uh, the person who does the breaking up, the the dumper, as Jared would say, they grieve the relationship while in the relationship. Like, That's they're what sad. I say. You I've been okay, saying there this for this years. Is, They're two is, weeks ahead. Jared's like, I've spent half yeah, my yeah. dating life thinking about how to break up with someone. <laughs> oh, Jared, this is uh, this is like scientifically based um, yeah. from a Columbia sociologist. And this is basically saying like they're both grieving the relationship, but the person who ends it is grieving it during. The person who is dumped is grieving it after. And so it might appear that you're this heartless person, but like, no, you've actually grieved it. And that's how you got to the breakup. I've been saying this. For I mean Dale and Claire, that situation from the Bachelorette <laughs> that that speaks to this a hundred percent. Dale was probably thinking about how to break up with her since they started dating. <laughs> so I don't know. I feel like that one's slightly different. But Aren't I know just I know so we're interesting. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I just think breakups are so interesting. It's like in life, like you're going to have a lot of jobs and you can switch jobs and you can have a bunch of friends. But like for most people, if you're seeking monogamy, like you get this one person and like every day or like, you know, you're just constantly saying like, do I want to be here or not? And like, I we should always forever. spend more time just thinking about breakups. Well, yeah. well, for, that's why forever. I that's the in your cra- modern that- In your no. modern love article, it's like you can't really, it's about how like, a part of it is at least is about how you're supposed to get everything from this one person in modern dating. It's like it used to be kind of like this was like one part of your life. It was you had like a whole village of people. And now it's like this person's supposed to be everything. So what I liked about you moving to the commune is like that seems more oh, yeah. realistic. Like there are some things I like talking to you about. But why does why does everything have to be the thing I come to you for. Okay, there's yeah, been a lot of foreplay yeah. about the commune. I'll, yeah, I'll I got to hear about it. But I, I do okay. want to ask this. Before you get to the commune, sure. I'm sorry. We keep, what if we never talked about it? The, we're edging, we're edging. And, yeah, and, and next up is Matt Damon. <laughs> oh, we, we ran out of time, like Jimmy Kimmel. Uh, I love so, that joke. <laughs> so I, I, I mean, with the breakups, people are put in the position. It feels like with a lot of these things, it's like, and, and this comes back to like, I'm sure you get these questions a lot. It's like, it becomes a decision. People want to believe that all breakups have to do with hate and with, oh, I walked in on them sleeping on, on with someone else. But that's not mo- most breakups are we either move in or break up. We either go on the third date or we break up. So it feels so mm-hmm. much more harsh, I think, to a lot of people or we either have the baby or we break up. It always comes at these pressure points. Yeah, I mean, there's so many directions I could take that. In the book, I do talk about these decision points, and it's basically relationships have these natural milestones, right? So the first one is usually the DTR, or I like the expression, the woo-woo, the what's up with us. So the first one is, do you actually talk about are we exclusive? What does exclusivity mean to me? Um, What does it mean to you? The labels. The next one is sometimes, um, you know, meeting your friends, meeting your parents, eventually moving in together. And so there's really cool relationship research that says a lot of couples slide through these decisions. They say, oh, my lease is up. I'm spending a lot of time at your place. I'll move in. And couples that decide that have intentional conversations, they are happier, more successful and have better sex. And so just kind of the meta point there is we should be deciding our way through these relationship milestones. But yeah, I mean, the breakup stuff is complicated. I think it's oftentimes like this is the good enough relationship and should I stick around or could there be something better? And I don't think it's always that maximizer who's like obsessively tracking 5% happier. I think that they're saying like, are my expectations too high? Are my expectations too low? Am I settling? Like if I left, could I find something better? I think those are like heart wrenching questions. And when I think about the kind of person who comes to me for a breakup conversation, they've probably made up their mind that they want to break up with someone and they just want my permission to do it. And that is a, you know, it's almost like a rabbinical duty. I don't know if that sounds really arrogant, but it's just like guiding someone to their own truth as opposed to telling them like, this is what you should do. 
Listen, I, I, I love everything you're talking about. I know Jordana. I, I, can, I can freely speak for Jordana. I know she's a huge fan, and I am too. Everyone should go buy the book. Everyone. It's called How to Not Die Alone, and you can get it anywhere you get books, right? Is there any special way you want people to buy it, Logan? Is there any specific way to get it that helps you the most? Because we like you a lot, and we're so happy oh, you came Oh, that's on. so nice. Yeah, I mean, basically the... Inside baseball part of books is that pre-sales are super important to first-time authors. I know this. Um, so basically, mm-hmm. like ordering at the beginning, buying it now, re- leaving a review on Amazon, that's all super important. And then if people are curious about these three dating tendencies, I have the quiz on my website. So they can go to loganyuri.com. And that's the first step is identifying your dating blind spot. That's a perfect way to get into you. So loganyuri.com. That's L-O-G-A-N-U-R-Y.com. Go, go, go. Check out the book, How to Not Die Alone. You know that feeling when you're going on your first date with the person you've been seriously crushing on and realize you have absolutely nothing to wear? Maybe you find yourself wishing you had the perfect pair of jeans, the one you can fancy up, fancy down, and just look better every time you wear them. Well, that's why you need to check out Lee Denim. I love Lee Denim. I'm wearing them today in the office. I'm wearing their jeans. I love, they also have this other pair that I have at home that I'm really excited to wear. It's like a little baggier, but it's still so comfortable and yet it's still so flattering. I don't know how they do it. Every time you wash it, they also look even better. And I love that they flatter every body type. Denim trends come and go, but Lee is legendary for creating denim cuts that fit your body. Their denim gets better with age and their classics fit into every look. Lee's denim jacket is the one to reach for without fail. A classic. The Ryder jean jacket is the OG, what every other brand has copied for decades. Everyone is an icon in their own right, and Lee makes denim so people can own their style and feel good in their clothes. Their spring collection is here, so get the freshest looks and cuts before anyone else. You can find your Lee fits by visiting lee.com. That's lee.com to shop spring looks now. When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going, but there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S.com. Yeah, so let's hear the commune story and then we'll get into the email. Great. Okay. So just setting expectations here. It's like a sadder story. Um, oh, oh, no. Okay. I'm sorry no, for no, no. bringing it up. <laughs> no, no, no. no. I, I put it in the New York Times. It's okay. totally fair game. Okay. Just like I feel like we've been having a joking conversation to just want to like set the mood. But yeah, so um, I've been, you know, with the same guy. His name is Scott. We met in college. We met again at Google and we've been dating or we've been together now for the last six years. And he's just like the healthiest person you've ever met, like stretches every day, vegan, works out, adds turmeric to everything. He's an AI cancer researcher, just like imagine just like that super healthy, annoying person. And last I I hate him already. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's just so disciplined. (laughs) Like, I mean, he just like does not waste time this guy. And yeah, like last spring, he had been having this ankle pain for a while. And he went to PT and he like actually did the PT exercises. Like I've literally never done a PT exercise in my life. And anyway, he asked for an MRI and they found out that he had bone cancer in his ankle. And it's this really rare disease called osteosarcoma. It affects 800 Americans a year. And basically his ankle, like you just look at this image of him. He has this like sort of Superman, super strong silhouette and then just like white, like bright white in the ankle. And actually there's two other spots. And so it's just like, holy shit, like we're at the beginning of a pandemic, like the world is ending. And my like extremely healthy vegan partner has cancer. And so... Basically, we were supposed to get married that August. We had canceled it already because of COVID. And he was just like, I really 
I really want to get married. Like, let's just do this. Oh, I should say the survival rate for five years, like after five years, how many people are alive is 30%. This is like really, really serious cancer. And so within a week, our friends threw us a wedding in Golden Gate Park, like socially distant, masked, et cetera. And that was on a Sunday. The night before the wedding, our friend, uh, we threw a foot roast, which was like, he has a great sense of humor. So his friends were roasting amputees. Oh, sorry. I'm like Mm -hmm. messing up the story. He had to get his leg amputated below the knee because with bone cancer, you can't just use radiation for something like this. You actually have to have surgery and surgery means amputation. And Mm -hmm. so the amputation was scheduled for a Monday. We got married on the Sunday and on the Saturday, the day before, instead of a rehearsal dinner, we had this foot roast and they were making fun of him. Oh, Scott's going to get cold feet and making fun of cancer. And even like Jeff Ross and, uh, Gilbert Godfrey did cameos. It was really, really like a oh funny event. Oh my God. Yeah, that part was epic. And they they called him Steve instead of Scott. It was really funny. And so anyway, he had the surgery, like, <laughs> you know, everything just sucked. Like the surgery was worse than we thought. Like the hospital rules around COVID were horrible. Our parents couldn't come visit. Like everything sucked. And I was just like seeing him in the hospital, coming home, like eating cold pizza on the rug in my apartment watching Netflix just being like this is horrible like I can't do this I'm so depressed and I'm so isolated and just the pandemic made everything worse and so about a month after the surgery our good friends came over and they then invited us to have dinner outside at their place and they have bought this place it's called Radish and 14 people live there and there's like multiple one-bedroom apartments that's where I am now and then one house that a bunch of people live in and then a communal space with a kitchen and like a screen and then there's a hot tub um a fire pit it's like actually just an awesome property with like a lot of communal space and we visited and we were like oh this is the first fun night we've had in a long time we should move in there and they had a one bedroom opening up and it was on the first floor like the mobility piece was super important and we moved in and just like it felt like the lights turning on like i had been so depressed so isolated like Everything just felt like bad news after bad news. And Scott actually has spent a lot of the year in the hospital. He has six rounds of extremely intense chemo and two more surgeries. But just living in Radish has been amazing. And what Jordana was referencing is there's this concept called OSOs, other significant others. And the idea is you should not expect everything from one person. That's unrealistic. It's it's going to make you unhappy. It's going to make them unhappy. What actually is important is find people that can sort of fulfill discrete needs for you. So like if you're really into Pilates, find a friend who goes to Pilates with you don't say to your husband like why won't you do Pilates and with Radish and these 14 like loving amazing people that like cook dinner and visit Scott in the hospital and like support me and all this stuff we have all these OSOs and like I just don't know like that I would be here talking to you right now or like be as positive as I feel like if we hadn't moved in here and it's just been like I wish everyone or at least everyone who's interested in like could live in a community like this because it's I think that we are just doing so much better mentally than most people during the pandemic. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this that's an amazing story. And I feel like total shit for having made fun of you a couple times. The, the, the it's commune. totally fine. <laughs> so I, think I, I, I play it, I play I it for like, laughs, too. No, no, no. I, you are I totally mean, forgiven. No, but you, I mean, I, the roast of the, the, it all sounds up my alley. Like, I... I yeah, and, I think you would like my husband a I, lot. I, I, I'm sure I would. I mean, and we hope the best in everything that Thank he does. Thank you. Yeah. You know, and I love that. I mean, I always talk before. Stuff. I mean, while even while we were single, I remember talking to my friends, just being like, you know, can't we all like live together? <laughs> so, yeah, I think the yeah. concept is great. I feel like we should figure out a way to make it like more turnkey for the masses of the population. Yeah. But let's get it. I know we have let's very get limited into the time, letters. so let's, let's do it. Let's get into. We're gonna do the one email. Sure. I'm gonna read it, and we'll go over it. So the listener writes, hi, J&J, love the podcast, and I could really use your advice in my current situation. My boyfriend and I started dating a year ago, and everything was going well until the pandemic hit. We still spent lots of time together throughout lockdown and got along really well, but the romance declined because we couldn't go on any real dates and do the regular stuff to to progress the relationship. It's the best relationship I've ever had, and I wanted to spend the rest of my life with him, but I started getting anxious a couple months ago because we hadn't had the I love you milestone. I wanted to say it, but I didn't feel like he was ready, so I held back. We recently had our one year anniversary and basically all my fears were confirmed. He told me that he's confused about his feelings because he cares for me a lot, but he's not in love with me yet. And that in previous relationships, he's felt more sure about his partners by this point. He thinks that the pandemic could be affecting his feelings and he doesn't want to break up because he can still see a future with me, but wants space to sort out his feelings. We agreed one week of no contact so he can do that. And I'm prepared for him to break up with me after that. But if he does want to stay together, is there any future for our relationship? 
I've always had the mindset that if someone doesn't want to be with me, I don't want to be with them. But I also don't want to throw away an amazing relationship just because it's taking him longer to fall in love than it did for me. Sincerely, unrequited love. Is it requited or requited? Requited, I say. Unrequited. Okay. I'm going to go with the two people that went to uh, Ivy League schools <laughs> on that one. So uh, <laughs> That's great. What do you, uh, Logan, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, wow, this letter is such a perfect choice for what we talked about. And maybe you did that on purpose. But yeah, I mean, this is exactly the question, right? It's like, it's, it feels pretty good. And I mean, I'm just reading between the lines about some of the things she said, right? So she says it's the best relationship she's ever had. She says she doesn't want to throw away something amazing. Like she still seems like she really wants to make it work. I think she's and even signing it unrequited love. That's really fascinating, right? So she feels like she loves someone and they don't love her back. I don't know that that's exactly what's going on. And so there's a couple things that I would point to. So one is, we just talked about this. The pandemic is a really anxiety provoking time for a lot of people. And that means that people are not being their best selves and people have a lot of internal stuff going on that is coming out in their relationship. It's coming out in being unprofessional at work. Like this is a very challenging time for people. And so part of it is what is, the issue between them and what is his stuff and how can he work on it the second thing is it sounds like they're just spending too much time together so there's a quote that i really love from esther perel who's the famous uh psychotherapist couples therapist sex therapist etc and so what she says is uh too often as couples settle into the comforts of love they cease to fan the flame of desire they forget that fire needs air. And so she's talking about the fact that in order to really desire someone, you need to give them some space. It sounds like they've just been on top of each other. And so a lot of times the the moment when you love people the most is when you've been apart and you come together. It's that that rendezvous after being apart. And they're not having that moment because they're on top of each other. And this is a lot of couples right now. And so I think that the idea of taking time apart, both to think and also to desire each other and come back together is really important. And so um, I think that what she needs to do is she really needs to give him some space to figure out where he is. And she could also help ask him some questions. You know, is this something about me? Have your feelings about me changed? Or is this something about you? And if it's something about you, like how can I support you? Whether it's talking to a therapist or spending more time on walks alone, but really just understanding whether it's an external factor of the pandemic and how hard that is, or an internal thing where this just isn't the right relationship for him. And so, I totally hear her, right? Like, I got this advice in college. I think it's really helpful. Don't make somebody a priority who makes you an option. I think that that's how she feels. She's feeling like a little bit of a self-esteem dump. And she's like, you know, I don't, should I reject him before he rejects me? But honestly, reading between the lines of her letter, I feel like there's a lot of other stuff going on for him. I think the pandemic is affecting his feelings. I think a week apart is a good idea. And I think when she comes back, she should really welcome his truth and see what's going on for him. Because at the end of the day, sometimes getting more information is scary, but you know, she doesn't want to waste her time. Like better to have like more data, even if it's bad news, than be in a relationship that's not going anywhere. Well, I, I, I was, I love that answer. And I think that comes like, I never really, you have to let them come back, right? You have to like mm-hmm. take them at their word. You can't, if you say a week, we got to both say, okay, a week. But I think a lot of people do these break things. What is the thing that maybe they should do when you come back? Like, like to me, it's very, to me, the line that I heard the most is him saying to her, well, I felt diff- I felt more in love with people that I'm not with right now. So, you, you know, at this that point, me, at yeah. this point, but it's like that you're not with them. So why, you know, at, what, what's the, what, you know, why would we yeah. race to the front of the line at any point? What's going to change here? That, yeah, right? we can dig into that. You're right. I, I didn't talk about that line. And so that kind of relates to a lot of other stuff we talked about or even like the kind of image Jared pointed for, Jared painted for us about like at the 10 mark looking in the mirror. And I, I've seen this with people, you know, all types of people. But yeah, I, I do feel like in my head, it's sort of a male voice saying like, I thought I would be more in love with you at this stage or like when I've been at the one year mark with someone else, it's felt like this. And so there's sort of this compare and despair thing. And like, mm. I, you know, I can't ask a follow up question here to her. I can't ask a follow up question to him. But this might go this person should read my book and he should say, am I the ditcher? Am I the person who expects um, falling in love to be the same as being in love? And like, it's just honestly so challenging to separate, like, is something going on with me that's sort of a sexual suppressant? Is it like a light depression because of the 
pandemic that's making me not feel as into her as I thought I would feel. Like these things are really layered and like we just don't have that it's it's hard to kind of dig into our own psyche and like basically what I would say is like she's using the words like best relationship I've ever had you know um amazing like I don't want her to give this up right away if it's something where he actually needs to figure out like it's not you it's me and I'm going to focus on myself for a while try to get back to the mental headspace that I want to be in and then let's evaluate like when I'm feeling my best self like how this relationship goes right I also, I mean, I, I definitely agree with all that. I also think that when she says it's the best relationship I've ever had, something that she should probably do is also ask internally, like, mm. is this the best relationship I've ever had because I feel like this person is like the best match for me that I could possibly find? Or am I just like also like kind of excited because she said two months for, she's been thinking about saying I love you for two months, right? So, or is she sort of also kind of attracted to this person's withholding? Is that something that she finds with, like kind of hot and I think that sounds counterintuitive but I actually do think a lot of women out there like they're drawn a little bit to being like kept a little bit at arm's length and I think that that's something that's internal for her that she might need to look into her herself and say is this actually the ideal match for me or am I just attracted to the fact that I can't I don't feel like I fully have this person yeah, that's such a good point. Wow, this really is such a rich letter. So she she was basically saying, I wanted to say I love you. He didn't say I love you. So I held back. And it's like, I don't think that the I love you milestone is as big of a deal as, as people make it to be. Like saying I love you to somebody means some things to some people and some things to other people. But you're right. It does feel like potentially she's in this anxious avoidant loop where her definition of love is what I was talking about before. It's the chase. His definition of love is somebody smothering him. And so they're reinforcing each other's bad patterns. And if that's true, you know, my general advice, easier said than done, is, you know, really find someone who's secure and brings out the secure side of you and break out of that anxious avoidant loop that actually just really sucks. For sure. Um, and I mean, this this reader should definitely read your book because I think she'll get a good sense of... Uh, other questions to ask herself to figure out if this is actually the relationship for her. And I understand that whole, like, you, you know, I don't want to be into him if he's not into me, mm -hmm. but it's also like, I think th th that taking time apart, like you said, and actually thinking about like, not just what does he want? Is he going to choose me? But taking that time to evaluate for herself, like, is this actually right for me? Or am I just kind of going with it? Cause it feels like it's working and I don't want to like be alone. Yeah. Great point. Yeah, and I I think everyone should read your book. I, I I love the perspective. I think it's so interesting. I think the just the back. I mean, Jordana and I, m myself more than Gina, uh, Jordana. Um, I'm speaking out of my ass. So, and people enjoy this conversation. So I, you're talking from a professional, you know, educated point of view that I think everyone's gonna love. So go check out the book. Everyone go. Uh, How to not die alone. LoganYuri.com. Go, go, go. And uh, buy it. Buy it ahead of it coming out so you can help out Logan because uh, it's going to be a great book. Jordan, you loved it, right? I loved it. I think everyone has something to learn from it. Um, you'll, you'll, it will definitely be additive for your dating life. So check it out. Um, and thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, this was such a fun experience. I think the wisdom that you both put out into the world, you know, the, the realness, the humor, I think it's genuinely really helping people. And I was glad I could be a part of it today. Thank you. All right. Bye. Thank you to our sponsor, Netflix. Bridgerton is back. And dearest gentle readers, you will not want to miss this chapter. Longtime friends Colin Bridgerton and Penelope Featherington find themselves in quite the precarious situation. The wallflower is ready to bloom, but she needs Colin's help to find a marriage match. Will these friends defy expectations to find true love? And will Penelope's secret identity as Lady Whistledown destroy any chance she may have at love? You shall have to watch and see. Watch part one of Bridgerton only on Netflix, May 16th. Betches.